0: Hi, I'm Sachi Parker. You may remember me as Dr. Tava from Star Trek, The Next Generation, and you are listening to Trek Untold.
1: Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Regular listeners of the Trek Untold podcast know that these episodes can often get pretty serious and they're not just always about Star Trek. This week is definitely one of those shows that gets super heavy, but I think it's also a really important one to listen to. This week on the show, our guest is Sachi Parker, and to some of our older guests, that name might sound very familiar because you probably already know the name due to her lineage. Her mother is Hollywood actress Shirley MacLaine, and her father, is Steve Parker. And Sachi's childhood, and even her being a young adult, was very much thrust into the spotlight due to her very famous parents. And more so, really, due to the fact that she had a very public falling out with her mother, so much so that she even wrote a book about it. But as we're going to learn today, Sachi's life is not dictated or defined by her relationship with her mother or her father, and she's now at a point where she can live her life very much for herself and the things that she wants to accomplish. Sachi's performing career has very much crossed paths with some big-name Hollywood performers in some big-budget films. But really, as I was talking to Sachi, the story kind of unfolded more so about her relationship with her mother and how these things kind of tie together into her life and who she is, and more so just, again, going back to how she's come to terms with all these very difficult hardships, especially dealing with these hardships under the public eye, and where she is today and who she has become today. Sachi's Star Trek connection comes to us in the form of the Season 4 episode of The Next Generation, which is titled First Contact, which as you know has nothing to do with the movie, it's a separate episode entirely, and the episode features Commander Riker being basically discovered on this planet that is just about to reach warp technology and the Federation is deciding whether or not to make first contact with them, but unfortunately Riker gets stranded there and he is discovered to, well, not be a member of that planet. Sachi's role was Dr. Tava, and we see her right away in the very first act of the episode as well. So she has some really interesting memories about her time on Star Trek, as well as about many other things that she's done. But as you know, Trek Untold always goes far beyond the stars, and that means a lot of different things. And this week, we're having a very, very deep and very intimate discussion with Sachi about the places she's been mentally and how she's gotten herself from one place, which was a place of anger, let's say, from when she originally wrote her book about her relationship with her mother, to where she is today and I keep saying that because it's a very much a different person and as I was doing my initial research for Sachi, I was watching different things that she was in various shows that she appeared in but it was also constantly showing up on my feed that I'd see things on Google or see things on YouTube where people were saying some things about her relationship with her mother and just constantly focusing on that so it's very hard for this interview also to not get into that direction which in turn is why I think it's so very important that we do talk openly about this and Sachi truly was an open book. So the question for this interview is not so much what Sachi did on Star Trek. It's really more so about who Sachi is today and the things that she's gone through, which I think a lot of you out there could certainly relate to. In various intros I've done for other episodes of this podcast, I've said things about how candid these interviews are and things like that, but this one was a whole other level of candidness. And I got to thank Sachi Parker. So, you know, again, also I want to remind you listeners out there, for anybody who might be sensitive to these topics about things like generational trauma, about relationship issues with parents or loved ones, this might be a trigger for some of you out there. So just take that with a grain of salt. At times, this episode is definitely a tough one to get through because of what we're talking about, but there is certainly a light at the end of the tunnel, and I think that's really the message here for what we're going to get out of this episode. But before we start talking to this week's guest, I want to remind you guys to make sure you are following Trek Untold on all forms of social media. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Trek Untold, and that's one word, Trek Untold, no spaces in between. That's the best way to stay up to date on who our guests are for the week, learn all about them before the show begins, and check out all the random memes I post, because yeah, I do a lot of that too. If you're in a position to financially support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon member. Head over to patreon.com slash trekuntold to see all the different ways you can help financially at different contribution levels. Some of the perks include early access to the episodes, having the chance to ask guests questions, and hopefully some more stuff I'm going to figure out pretty soon. It is easily the best way to directly connect with me, as well as to meet other fans of this show. If you're looking to buy some Trek and Told merchandise, don't worry, that's going to be coming very soon. If you prefer to check out the video version of this podcast, head over to youtube.com slash today, where every Sunday I post these episodes in video format, which includes a lot of images and video from the guests I were talking to. But the most important thing you can do to help support this show is please leave us ratings and reviews if you're checking us out on iTunes, on Spotify, or other audio platforms that allow you to leave reviews and ratings, or by subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as giving our Trek Untold videos thumbs up, likes, and comments. All these interactions help push our podcast to the very top of these different platforms to make sure more Star Trek fans can find us. It costs you nothing to do other than a few moments of your time, so please, if you haven't done that already, consider doing so. So without further ado, let's go ahead and beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold, and now joining us on the other side of the screen is a performer who has probably done more time travel movies than any other guests that we've spoken to yet on this show, which is pretty crazy. It's a pretty surprising to have here, but uh, yeah, we're going to talk all about some of her time travel exploits, as well as her time on Star Trek, and as always, much, much more. And that person we're speaking to is Sachi Parker. Sachi, welcome to Trek Untold. How are you today?
0: Hi. Hi, everybody on Trek Untold. <laughs> nice to be on planet Earth.
1: <laughs> At least for the time being. That's what we're going to say. maybe our.
0: not. I don't no know. Knows.
1: This is Zoom. I don't, I don't know. know where you could be right now.
0: Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's a secret. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, let's no. just go ahead and jump right into things here. And, Sachi, I'd like to ask you the question I always start these interviews with here. Um, and I know yours, I'm actually really interested to hear because your experience growing up is a little bit different from most people, uh, and especially where you grew up. So, spoiler alert, but, um, so my question is, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Did you watch it as a kid growing up?
0: Gosh, Matthew, I did not. I grew up in Japan, um, where there was, um, not much going on as far as that goes. I don't think they were dubbing, um, Star Trek at the time. They were dubbing other things. Uh, gosh, you know, Bonanza and stuff like that, you know? (laughs) The westerns. Um, no, my first experience with Star Trek was when I moved to America when I was twenty-five. So way late, and I loved it. Of course, it's kind <laughs> of a an escape, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's not to love? And, and now I'm just like curious about hearing how Bonanza sounds in Japanese. That's got to be something.
0: <laughs> oh, honestly, it was it was uh, normal for me to hear all these wonderful american shows spoken in japanese <laughs> and uh, i i i i loved it i i didn't think anything uh, uh it, it wasn't out of the ordinary that and so when i saw bonanza for the first time when i saw reruns and stuff or the honeymooners or you know in actual english it was odd <laughs>
1: All right. So, Sachi, this next question, I feel like, you know, this is typically a very innocent kind of question about your background, but I feel like today it's a little bit more loaded here. Um, so you already mentioned where you grew up. And that's in Japan. Um, but for folks who don't know the name, uh, can you tell us who your parents were and what they did uh, and, and what little Sachi wanted to be when she grew up?
0: Oh, uh, well, my mother is this the, the very iconic actress, Shirley MacLaine. And uh, my father who's not with us anymore, was a producer and a film producer. I grew up with him and his mistress in Tokyo in Japan. And um, I, I uh, always wanted to be somewhat of a caretaker, whether it was a nurse or uh, as I got older, working for the UN, you know, I had my languages. uh Helping people, you know, that was always something I wanted to do. I uh, never really got that opportunity, but acting was something that I did choose when I came to this country and I got to know my mother very well. Uh, And I think that helps satisfy my wanting to help people you know moving people with the stories that I might tell through the heart I love comedy as well making them laugh you know but there's a there's a quality of of caretaking that's very much a part of my life even now you know I I love that I love taking care of animals and people who are in need and I volunteer all the time and stuff
1: like that. So That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Sachi, I think you're one of the first guests we've spoken to who is a native of Japan. And it's a very different kind of culture than what I'm used to in America. I've had the chance to visit just once in my life. And I'm hoping to go back once all this COVID stuff is gone. Um, But, you know, you're growing up in Japan. This is, you know, some time ago here. So I'm curious, you know, how are foreigners treated? Uh, And especially, you know, as you got older, I think this might be a thing that could be uh, a little Mm -hmm. tough to talk about. But, you know, being a female foreigner growing up in Japan.
0: What a great question. Um, you know, I grew up in Japan when the, uh, the the you know, things have changed a lot now regarding women and working women, thank goodness really. When I was still there though, it, there was a, a very traditional way of living your life as a woman to be uh, always in the background, subservient uh, to men in general, you know, being the mother, very traditional, maybe a little bit of the 50s in this country, in America, you know, very um, in the background. And I think as a foreigner, you know, it's funny. It was around seven or eight years old where it started to change, Matthew, where I was – I was part of the community in in my own age group very much Japanese I only spoke Japanese and then suddenly at around 7 or 8 they noticed people know, the people you know kids 7 or 8 years old would notice mm, I have blonde hair or a bigger nose or taller or freckles and I started getting teased It's funny, I I didn't experience that beforehand. So there's something, I'd like to study that a little more. You know, why is it, what is it about the human mind, the curiosity of a seven or eight year old that switches around that age to notice differences? It was really interesting. I I lost a lot of friends and um, painful stuff. But it wasn't their fault. It's just something I'd like to know more about. Study a little bit. You have to wonder. Yeah, I wonder. wonder, You
1: know, sometimes how it's like maybe they reach a certain age, or you know, a child reaches a certain age where they can now kind of comprehend the reality that's around them, and they're also now absorbing a lot of the biases and information that they're given, and where they get it from is their home or places like that. So you got to wonder, like you know, at what age are they now kind of like accepting all this information as fact and not quite ready to kind of delve into that and what these facts mean.
0: Exactly it's fascinating and and you know it, it it's need it needs to be forgiven too you know it's just it's just a stage of life I think yeah we all go through I wonder and 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 it speaks to um it just being different and maybe we can learn from that you know of how we can teach maybe the seven or eight year olds just in the world in general to be to, to include, rather than fear the difference, or, or you know, to as parents or teachers in school maybe can help us children of seven or eight years old to be more aware and and forgiving and inclusive and all like that, you know, just
1: so that we don't go to war so much. <laughs>
0: anyway, I'm Wouldn't getting that be very, nice? Very philosophical now. <laughs> you
1: know? Oh, this is Trek Untold. We barely talk about Trek here. Get used to this. Uh- <laughs> okay. you wrote a book uh, a few years back called Lucky Me, My Life With and Without My Mom, Shirley MacLaine. And uh, I I do have some more pointed questions about your relationship with your mother that I want to come back to, uh, especially as you become a working professional in in acting. But, you know, talking about right now in these formative years for Sachi Parker, what was your relationship like with your parents? What was it like growing up in Japan and kind of just being this outsider, this foreigner who's trying to find her place in the world?
0: You know, I found a lot of solace in nature, and and even since. I've found... Um, a lot of peace, just w- walking through woods or by a river, or you know whatever nature there was. Yeah, I I, uh, I didn't have much of a relationship with my mother or my father. You know, I did with um, various teachers at school, nannies that I grew up with, all um, like that. But I think, um, and and they had a wonderful influence on me. In, in in as any kind of person who's taking care of you would, and and my father had a wonderful influence on me, and so did my mother, but less so because they weren't there in a, on a daily basis. But nature—I had a, my favorite cherry tree in the backyard, <laughs> you know. There was a koi pond, and I I would make friends with the koi, and <laughs> I I spoke a lot with animals, um, still do. Do
2: I speak to trees <laughs> okay I mean,
0: as weird as it uh, might sound
1: i mean i know i pretty much know exactly what you mean and uh you know I, i'm actually just thinking now back like when i went to japan and i remember yeah. uh i just basically i had a jr rail pass so i basically just take it one day and just go oh, as far as it great. could take me yeah, yeah. and so there's one day where i went to uh kamakura and i remember just like i had no plans there i just that's walked
2: there.
1: yeah it was just really beautiful and i found i think it's um I can't remember the name, but it's this kind of old temple that's there. And I think it actually is a temple meant for elderly people. And there's this like giant amount of steps you have to get to get to the very top of the temple and to pray. Uh, and I just remember like seeing this really nice little pond and uh, just kind of feeling this like moment of stillness and serenity and tranquility, but also this thoughtfulness. And it's like so much is happening, but there's also at the same time quietude. So, I mean, I guess Japan is like the perfect place to kind of have that that feeling.
0: I really I really was lucky to have that growing up. I really did. I mean even in the middle of Tokyo, maybe not so much anymore, but I think there are pockets even now, but back then I I mean there it was everywhere. You know, little pockets of those little ponds and little cherry tree hanging over it and you know, gosh. And and when you're a kid everything is bigger anyway. I I just you know I I uh, I loved all the beauty there, I I uh, and I find beauty here, in my way you know I I do take time out during the day, no matter how busy I am to find that nature you know it's it's great I mean a Central Park for instance I mean my gosh there are just gorgeous little fairy tale land pockets everywhere you know? yes that's true I, I I do I find a lot of peace yeah and quietude.
1: Now, if I recall, uh, I don't think after whatever, I guess, the equivalent of high school being in Japan, I don't think you went to college at that point. Um, so can you kind of tell us what you did uh, once you were kind of of age to have uh, a little bit more freedom and control of your own life?
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I always wanted to go to college, uh, but I, I uh, did not have the opportunity. And um, I'm actually going to start really soon at this oh, congrats. age. Yeah, I know. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to it a lot. Um, I'm going to study psychology, which I'm really excited about. Um, that seems fitting. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, just did things to basically survive. You know, waitressing, and I. Oh, and I became a stewardess or an airline flight attendant. I guess is what it's called. What you're called now. Um, I had a ball. I really did. I did that for, gosh, almost uh, six years, almost seven. I think, in Australia, uh, for Qantas Airlines. Loved it. Loved going to different countries and um, we would go to Singapore, Bahrain, um, you know, of course, Frankfurt and Amsterdam, London and all like that and Rome. But places like Singapore, Bahrain really stand out or Bangkok, you know, where I would, we would land and We would have so much time off, sometimes four days, and I would just take a bus and go out into the country and go visit local people and how they lived. And, oh, gosh, play with the kids and stay with, you know, back in the day you could do that kind of thing where you would stay with different families, you know, and it was safe still. Um, or little tiny inns, you know, um, and I would get to know the innkeeper and his wife and his kids and I would learn how to cook their food. And um, w- even though I didn't speak the language, you know, you find a way um, just the beauty of of getting out into the non touristy areas into the real life of of. You know, for instance, Malaysia. if We were in Singapore. You know, I'd really go far out, um, and I never was late for my call for the next flight out. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> but um, Bahrain, same thing. Gosh, gorgeous beauty. You know, the the desert, the sandstorms. You know, going out to the areas where they they they, they dry dates. You know, the camels. I mean, I, I it just. I loved that. I, I always felt the need to get out um, and get to know the real um, the culture, you know, and, and food and the people. And I could never really learn their language, which I wish I could have done, but, you know, never had enough time. But I, I loved all that. So I kind of miss it, you know. I mean, hard work being a, a stewardess, an airline, a flight attendant. Stories I could tell you about being in <laughs> flight. Boy. <laughs> fun that's
1: a different Passenger podcast i think series,
0: you know? <laughs> oh my god um but uh yeah i had a really good time and then i i uh finally came to this country at 25 to to get to know my mother really i i missed her so then, then that segued into acting and
1: So let's say at this point in the story of Sachi Parker's life, you know, you've arrived now at 25 years old, you're in LA, I assume, with your mom, uh, and at some point, how how does acting actually fit into this?
0: It was really kind of an interesting thing where she's the one, actually, who got me into it in the first place. We were uh, playing a wonderful little game across the kitchen counter, I guess, Um, and uh, I said something like, life is so strange. And she said, "Oh my God, say it again." So I did, like a like a second take, you know. Life is so strange. Anyway, she said, "Oh my God, okay, let's do some improv games." Anyway, we played some improv games. I didn't know what she was carrying on about. Anyway, I finally Meisner technique. I guess so, right? And I started to. I started having so much fun. Um. That's how it started. And then she introduced me to Peggy Fury, who was this wonderful acting teacher down the road in Malibu and uh, literally walked me down the beach to Peggy Fury's house. And um, that's how it started. Very grateful for that. I love acting. I really do.
1: Was there like a formal education at that point with acting, or is it kind of more just like acting as you go, figuring out as you go along, and, and you're getting roles?
0: No, it was quite formal actually. With Peggy, um, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I loved her, and she was so so generous with me. Yeah, I was teaching Japanese people at the time. You know, the Japanese culture was very big in Los Angeles. And um, I was teaching English to a lot of Japanese businessmen, actually, at the time. And um, that's uh, what I did. And learning how to act with Peggy. And I was with Peggy in her class, along with whoa, Sean Penn and Charlie Sheen, Angelica Houston, Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, it goes on. Kristen Glover. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was Wonderful people. And I, I learned a lot. I learned it, uh, almost everything I know, and my mother too. She was wonderful in directing, you know, little scenes that we had to prepare for class. You know, I would bring it back to her place in Malibu, and she would direct them, you know, with my scene partner. It was really fun.
1: I'm going to put you on the spot now, Sachi. Uh, I'm going to ask you oh. here. I think this might be the toughest one, toughest question in the entire interview now, but. Uh... Let's just say, you know, especially in these formative years where you're now learning how to act, you're picking up all these different tools from your mom and from Peggy, you know, some real, some real greats we're talking about here. Um, yeah. What were some of the most important lessons that you learned from both of them that you continue to use throughout your career?
0: Wow. Well, I learned from my mother how to be tough and professional. I think I learned that in Japan anyhow, As as far as, you know, being on time and, being professional and always showing up no matter how you feel if you're even if you have got 105 fever you show up you know um that i learned in japan in japan of course the japanese are very much that way i think the Jap- the germans you know it's a cultural thing um and my mother because she's very much that way she's very very uh professional and, and it's a respect thing you know i i learned i think peggy uh, and from her husband, Bill Trailer, who's no longer with us. Of course, Peggy's no longer with us either. But I don't know how. And I still don't know how. But Peggy taught me how to act. And I don't know how I do it. <laughs> but she... Uh, it wasn't... Um, And I'd I'd like to learn the lingo that goes along with how I do it. You know, I I, I know I use the method a lot, a lot, Um, but my imagination as well, as far as um, creating a real surrounding. Um, I can actually, you know, when you're doing a scene,
1: I don't know if you act. Do you act? I should, (laughs) but no, not
0: it's, it's, or, or you'll understand, you'll get it. It's a, um, you know, not to be so technical about it, but I definitely have a natural ability to somehow create a completely real surrounding for myself where I actually see, you know, I could be in a room But I, let's say, you know, or you're on stage, but you're supposed to be out in nature. You know, I can actually smell nature. I can smell the grass. I can smell, see the pond. I can see the sun reflecting off of it. I mean, all my sensory is operating. Uh, I might have learned that from Bill, her husband, who taught that uh, sense memory. But I think I also have a natural ability to do it also, which I'm very, very lucky. And I use it all. I use um, my background, my own personal pain uh, from childhood. Very lucky there. (laughs) Um, You know, I think we all are. We have all had painful pasts, you know, different stories to tell. And I do find that it has to be about 10 years old. In other words, the pain can't have happened yesterday and expect it to work today. I need about, for me anyway, I need about 10 years of marinating time. <laughs> and, and then when I go back to it for for a, a scene, it wow, it really works. Um, or, you know, it could be a, Peggy taught me a lot about Geraldine Page taught me a lot about this as well. I did my first film with Geraldine Page in Ireland called Writers to the Sea. She taught me a lot about, you know, go to the museums and look at artwork. What might work for you and your past or your memories or, or a certain necklace that means a lot to you. You know, she had a, she had a bag of goodies, you know, a bag of little trinkets that she would pull out for different scenarios that she needed and um and to this day, I still study um not study so much, but i it's like brushing my teeth, you know I'll sit there in a chair by myself for about five ten minutes per day, whether I'm acting in a in a paid job or not just to keep my wheels oiled you know i'll i'll um give myself an assignment like oh okay uh give myself a scenario that maybe okay let's make it an easy one like i need to cry uh because of a loss of someone dear to me And I'll give myself literally a time limit, you know, (laughs) because sometimes a director will say, okay, we need you to cry on cue on this line or in this particular scene, maybe not on a line, but, and so I'm always ready. Um, And I do give myself about five, 10 minutes a day to, to do that. And sometimes I find the, the bag of trinkets, the bag of little goodies, you know, some things have stopped working. And then I'll have to, oh, that's dangerous. I better find another one to take its place. And so then it gives me an opportunity to do that as well, like um, changing parts, you know, and um, switching them out. And so I do work on it every single day.
1: I mean, I know you're just saying how you didn't necessarily have words for what you're doing, but I mean, it sounds like you got a lot and I'd like to actually kind of explore that a little bit. (laughs) That's not a bad thing either, but, you know, I I feel like, you know, we're kind of trying to feel our way through uh, this process of how you were learning how to act. And uh, I guess Mm -hmm. I I kind of want to explore that a little bit deeper because, you know, I was thinking about how uh, I saw an interview that you did a while ago. I think it's also in your book, too, how you were about, especially as you were growing up, feeling very isolated and very lonely and how in a lot of ways, too, you didn't necessarily have a lot of the escapism that, let's say, the average kid my age would have had back then. Uh, You know, like, I think I heard that your your dad didn't let you read books necessarily back then.
0: Oh, God. I still struggle with that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so I'm kind of wondering, you know, you have like these these kind of negative life experiences, and obviously that can go great towards the negative things when you're acting, but, you know, in terms of basically, you know, the fact that you were so isolated, feeling so alone, how did you actually find out how humanity worked, and how were we able to kind of build how, that how, vocabulary? How
0: what, work, how, how what worked, on? uh
1: How, how were not? you able to find out how humanity worked, and humanity? how were you able to find... Yeah, and how were you able to kind of find, like, a, a vocabulary to act with?
0: Oh, wow. Uh... Yeah, I'm. I I I feel um, instantly. Uh, you know, someone can walk in a room, and I, my instincts are right on. You know, it's a funny thing. Very intuitive. And I don't know Very intuitive, and I don't know why. And and um, as an adult, I started checking. You know, asking that person. Or even even in a joking kind of way, if I don't know them very well, are um oh, you know, do you want a cookie you know to brighten up your mood or you know or, or you know can i can I give you a you know a little you know someone I know might know better, can I give you a little shoulder rub You're feel, you feel you seem a little down today, and i i I would check in, and I was always right. And so I started to then really trust my instincts a lot. And they're very valuable, you know, Um, because a lot of times people around us deny our instincts or gaslighting or, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, you know. And um, I think, that has been a gift for me to check in. I don't check in as much anymore. I don't have to be as rude necessarily to to to, to ask anymore. I I just internalize what that other person might be feeling, not thinking necessarily. I I don't know, but um, I uh, I think we all have that. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I. As far as the loneliness thing goes, hmm. I, I, think we all feel it. I know I still do. Um. And in a way, I didn't realize it at, at the time when I was a child, but you know, this, these last few years with COVID, you know, being uh stuck and the loneliness really and i think for a lot of people has come into play in their lives it kind of um you you or i have anyway taken that as a gift or made it a positive cuz loneliness is such a It's, um, it's scary, you know, and it's, um, it, uh, it, um, you do feel isolated and you do this COVID time and, um, to kind of go in and really try to evaluate life and your friends and what we really want to do and, you know, those questions that we don't get a chance to really ask ourselves in private because we're so busy, you know, and I'm trying to turn that loneliness into a real positive, and I think I've done an okay job these last two years. I feel I have, which is where the college thing came in, and I'm like, you know what? I might be 65, but you know what? It's never too late. I can do this. <laughs> Yeah. Stuff I think like COVID that. in particular really
1: kind of pushed people to get out of their comfort zones and forced them to do yeah. things like, like you mentioned now. I mean, like, that's kind of how this podcast started too. It was my pandemic project and also a way to like talk to people again. So I, I can definitely understand that it kind of, you know, that's, Love you know, a learn. whole trauma this whole country has felt really.
0: Well done, Matthew. Wow. You really, you really acted on it. See, I have yet to act on it. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I, well, I have, I kind of drove up
1: to Norwalk Community College and I'm like, okay. So you put the application paper and you did it. So there you yeah, go. Yeah,
0: I did it. I did it. I'm like, okay. And and seniors get to go for free.
1: Oh, oh, lucky okay. you, right? I
0: have to turn 65 first. <laughs> <laughs> So um, yeah, I I uh, yeah. So I'm I'm um, but you know they were still doing things online, and I'm just not an online person. I'm a gosh, I'm a I'm a people person. you know, I need to be able to ask questions, raise my hand. I need you know, I I, I need hugs. I need. To go out for coffee after class, you know blah blah, you know all that, so um I'm gonna wait until it's all in person again, which is hopefully september, but um anyway, yeah, the loneliness thing is a toughie, isn't it it's um yeah. it's a uh, it's i I have communed with nature a lot more, I would go camping by myself with my dogs, I have two little dog well you'll meet them. The one's a little papillon and another one's a pug. I mean, they're not exactly, you know, guard dogs, or anything, you know? but, um, but, but they're, but they're, uh, they're, they're, they're pals, you know, and, and, um, yeah, I've gone camping with them and fishing. I, I my dad gave me a, a, an appreciation for the outdoors and camping, and fishing in a river and, you know, um, I love that, and I I do. And and this COVID thing has made me do that a lot more. Um, one time I saw a mama bear and her three cubs. That was scary. Whoo, <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, um, I think nature. Honestly, I I keep going back to nature. But that that is a real solace. No time for loneliness, really, or that the, the negative part of loneliness. You know. Um, so I, I, uh, I'm glad for that. I'm glad I have those tools, you know, to, to, to combat the negative part of loneliness.
1: Okay. Good answer. Yeah. I I can totally feel that. Yeah. I know what you mean by that entirely. Um,
0: yeah, I'm glad you get it. It's, I, I'm trying to put it into words because it's, and cooking, cooking. Oh, I love to cook. And oh, oh my God, Matthew, I cannot wait to have friends over again and cook oh my god i do miss <laughs> this. i'm you know i i, I cook and I'll, I'll like you know give it to my dogs <laughs>
1: <laughs> lucky dogs Jeez.
0: yeah they're lucky but i don't sometimes i don't know if it's okay for a dog to eat <laughs>
1: like, as long know. as it's not chocolate you're okay i think
0: i think so chocolate yeah. we don't we know
1: yeah save that for me so. uh so yeah,
0: you, you have dogs
1: uh no i don't but i do like chocolate so feel free to send me all that if you got it <laughs>
0: Oh, I will. Okay. I will actually. I will. I make a killer chocolate chip cookie. Oof.
1: So let's kind of talk now about uh, some of your earlier acting gigs. And I'm curious, uh, cause you mentioned that, that, that film that you did in Ireland. Uh, I don't know if that was your first acting gig. So I guess the question here would it be was... what was your very first pro acting gig and what did you learn from it?
0: Well, that was my first acting gig with Geraldine okay. Page and Amanda Plummer. I was 25 and Wow. What an experience. It was beautiful there. First of all, it was, it, it was shot on the Aran Islands, which are, um, three islands off the west coast of Ireland, Inishir, Inishmore, and Inishman. You say that so they well. Still, I know, right? <laughs> I'm very proud. They, they, um, they still, well, I don't know if they do now, but they did back then still speak Gaelic. So I did learn a bit of Gaelic then um it beautiful we all um each stayed in different homes different families cuz they didn't have a B&B or you know an inn or anything you know you the all the film crew stayed with different families it was lovely my i i just was so lucky i mean i think we all were honestly i mean it was an experience it really was and it put us all into it, we actors it all put us into the right mindset of playing the roles you know because it was taken place when um J. M. J M Singh wrote it uh he also wrote Playboy of the Western World i don't know you might know that more um wonderful writer very melodramatic uh story um of of the women in the family losing all of the males to uh the car the well the, the storms that would come pounding up against the land and I mean it was just in their little carracks, you know they're called. Um they would go out and, and go fishing. Um and, and we women would uh knit these Aaron sweaters. I'm, I'm sure if you've heard of Aaron sweaters, you know that that the wool woolen sweaters. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, And each sweater had had its own stitch that was the signature of that particular of the father or the brother or the and so the reason was when if they were to not make it and they were washed ashore or the sweaters would wash ashore they would know who didn't because of the stitch in the sweater i mean very melodramatic stuff but in any case i you know the the mornings were all foggy and 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 just gorgeous and wild and woolly and ah oh. I loved all that nature again, you know, and, and um I would get up God so early and go walk around the island, literally. I mean it would take maybe an hour to walk around the island and every morning it, oh, and, and then the, the the what was her name? Noreen, I think was her name or Maureen. She would she would bake black bread every morning and I learned how to do that and and, and these big pats of Butter, you know, just, <laughs> it was lovely. Oh, golly. And we would just sit. It was freezing. And even it was done, it was shot in the midsummer, but it was freezing in the, in the summers early in the morning like that. And we would, um, sit by the stove, you know, she would have this stove and she would put the, she would have a kettle on the stove all day long for tea. Um, and she would have, a, she would, uh, Make me a hot bath in the morning to get. She would. She wanted my muscles to be all loose for shooting that day. <laughs> she would, but you know there was no hot water, and everything was generator run. Uh, no electricity, uh, but except for the generator. And but the the hot water would be the become hot. She would put coals into the base of the tub area and light the coals and fill the bathtub with freezing water and that water would eventually become hot from the coals. I mean, wow, you know, just that, I I loved all that.
1: Different way of life.
0: Yeah, right. She'd be, and then she would bring me this cup of tea while I was in the tub. Oh, I mean, it's something I still do in the morning. You know, and working with Geraldine Page and Amanda Plummer—wow, two wonderful actresses. Geraldine Page was so so generous, even when it was her, um, you know, or my close-up, and she was behind the camera. Usually, a star like that, uh, you know, they would have somebody else read me my lines when it's my close-up, and they'd be in the dressing room or something, and in their trailer or whatever. No, no, she would be right behind the camera and give me her all in her performance so that I could have the most in my emotional response to her line, you know, so generous that way and so professional.
1: Yeah, that That is a pretty huge deal, especially when that is your first film to have like that kind of literal feedback face to face with that person.
0: You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, it was, yeah, most stars and she's a star, you know, yeah. and she didn't have to do that. Same with Amanda Plummer, same thing. Just wonderful we three women really worked well together. And um Barry McGovern was uh my brother and uh, very Irish. Love a wonderful person, lovely crew, oh god, Ronan O'Leary directed it. Just a wonderful guy, fabulous director. Um what a wonderful experience for my first. I got spoiled. It was so, so family-y. And oh, we would go to the pub at night, you know, after the shooting, the day of shooting, we would all go to the local pub. There was only one pub. And everybody would gather there, and we'd all have their local whiskey. I mean, I I remember having uh, the, the local whiskey there. You don't mess around. I mean, one shot, and I'm, I was like, I fell off my chair. <laughs> it's, I'm gone. It was lovely. It really was. And you'd hear the different stories and lovely experience. Oh, my, and my daughter's name is Erin because of it. Oh, well, There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: That's really yeah. cool. Well, let's yeah. fast forward a few years now. And we're going to start talking about, I guess, the time traveling exploits of Sachi Parker, because uh, we got to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about Back to the Future. Uh, and you were, IMDb lists you as bystander number one, but I mean, that's, that I doesn't really fine. do you justice. <laughs> But, uh, you know, because basically, you know, that, that scene itself, just to p- tell people what it is, is it's right towards the end of the film uh, after George McFly punches out Biff, and you basically, you and your date run right behind Michael J. Fox. And you get to deliver a line. Um, so that must have just been, you know, really fun show. I'd, I'd love to hear about your time working on that set.
0: Oh, Matthew, listen, it was so much fun. I mean, you know, it was an honor. I had a crush on Michael J. Fox, as did everybody. All the girls, I mean, were like, oh, there he is, there he is. <laughs> It was just one of those things. I mean, and I, 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 what a wonderful production too. You know, it it was, um, love the storyline. Again, so friendly. Everybody was so friendly. Um, I, I, I mean, I think I had a, I mean, literally what? Two lines.
1: It was two lines. Yep. (laughs)
0: LinkedIn, you'd miss me. But honestly, my experience of that thing, oh. It was a big budget, too, and we got to wear lovely outfits of the 50s, right? You know, and, oh, we were all treated like princesses, you know. It was just, and very, very, you know, Michael J. Fox, very friendly. Most stars aren't very friendly. You know, they're not friendly to the bystander ones of the world, you know. I mean, they're just. You know, they have better things to do. But such a lovely guy, so lovely. And years later, you know, it's Matthew. It's funny. Years later, I, uh, I, we, I went with my children and my then husband to Atlantic uh, Atlantis. You know that Atlantis place. Where is it? You know the where you go when you have fun with your kids and it's all the rides and everything. And there was Michael J. Fox. With his kids, and I said hi. He remembered me. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't expect, and such a gentleman, just lovely. And that was kind of cool. A real nice person.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny though because they basically reshot that scene for Back to the Future Part Two, but you're not there. So I'm wondering, like, were, were you ever called back to that? Was just a conflict, or what happened there? Why, why weren't Why didn't get to see you again in uh, Back to the Future Part Two?
0: I don't know. Bystander number one went off to the Pleiades or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Bystander number one had better things to do to, 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 out there in the universe. <laughs> I
2: don't
1: know. <laughs> well, you basically, I mean, you did because basically you went on to do another movie that involved some more time travel, and that's Piggy Sue Got Married, which. Oh my uh, I know. gosh,
0: you're right. How weird is that, right? Right
1: yeah so and that's again you know talking about another another big big budget movie uh and this has got you know francis ford coppola is directing this we're talking about kathleen turner nick cage um trekkies out there will know katherine hicks of course uh because she was in star trek four uh i've got you know jim carrey for crying out loud i mean uh, even a young really young helen hunt in this like what a what a cast so yeah but again you're, you're you're time traveling once again another film so what what is it like there to be again in another era if you will
0: well, you know, honestly, that film, I, I mean, Peggy Sue got married. Wow. Francis Ford Coppola influence was huge, huge. I was, it was in a time in my career life, whatever, you know, I, where I was starting to take a big interest in behind the scenes, how you make a film, um, not just acting. And I, I, uh, I wish I'd gone further with that. That would have been. um, And I think I still can. I mean, of course, it's it's never too late. You know, these iPhones, for goodness sakes. I mean, we can shoot a film on them. Um, But yeah, Francis Ford Cobble. What a genius. I remember there was one scene where. um, Helen Hunt's character was going back through. Time. And it was shot, it was very complicated, and he sat in his, you know, what, is he, what do you call those, um, you know, uh, those silver, yeah, an RV thing, but he, it was insane inside, I mean, I got a chance to see it, it was just cameras everywhere, and high tech stuff everywhere, and he he basically lived in that and he would come out every now and then to direct and then he'd go right back. But he had this fancy way of shooting that thing that was so genius. And I, I, and so detailed and he wasn't satisfied until it was absolutely perfect. The, the, the dedication. I mean, of course it takes a lot of money to be able to do take after take, after take, after take, but, Even so, the 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 level of perfection. Yeah, he was he was very much an actor's director and a technical director, and I learned a lot from him, a lot. Wonderful man, wonderful man. I got to know Sophia a little bit, um, who's now of course unbelievable. She in her own right, you know, she's doing so well. But yeah. That was a lovely experience. Again, huge production. Oh, yeah. Those those huge productions just don't come around anymore. I don't think they're in existence much anymore. You know, those... Not quite the same way. Those huge budgets. Yeah.
1: And we're going to basically kind of keep things in line with the time travel, because I think this film has more or less got some time travel elements in it, and that's Scrooged. And, uh, you know, again, we're talking about big movies big budgets i mean oh this is richard donner God. so again you got some more film royalty here uh and i believe you know, you, you were bell right so you were, yeah so you you were like one of the cast members right in, in bill murray's uh cast correct
0: yes i played his fiancee bell yes i had to kiss buddy hackett
1: <laughs> <laughs> well Sorry. i think the question is whether or not he was drinking before then <laughs> Wait, whether he was what whether or not he was drinking before then
0: Oh, God. I'm glad you mentioned it. I didn't.
1: (laughs) I do the dirty work for you. Don't worry, Sachi. I got you covered.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to stay a lady.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Were you there for uh, for that big speech that Bill does at the end of the film?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. I've heard, like, you
1: know, there's all this, like, rumor and innuendo about, you know, how much that was improv, how much that was scripted. I mean, maybe you can kind of shed some light on it. I I mean, how much do you remember being, like, him just talking? A lot. Yeah, because it okay. was
0: different, it was different almost every take, hmm. and I I mean I don't know which take was you know scripted. Uh, I mean completely. I'm sure it was. Um, he's such a genius improver, right? I mean, the guy yeah. is just he has sort of a Walt, Robin Williams kind of ability to just go off off, you know, and. It's brilliant every single time. And which one do you take? Which one do you use? You know? I mean, he's he's one of those. Just brilliant. I mean, just...
1: Yeah, undeniable.
0: A really nice guy, too.
1: That's good to hear. Cause I, I think this was, like, his first movie in, in a few years, too, at the time. I think he had uh, he had done another movie before then, didn't do that well. and He just was like, I'm, I'm out of Hollywood for a while. And then he came back, and he did Scrooge. And that was, like, kind of the big comeback of Bill Murray.
0: I didn't realize that. Well, he really... He nailed it. I mean, he really did. I mean, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, again, another huge production. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So you do have one other sci-fi franchise under your belt that I want to talk about. And this is kind of fun getting to watch this one again, because uh, you did an episode of Alien Nation. And this is like, you know, going back to, I think it was like the early 90s on Fox. And uh you were in an episode. And again, this show is relevant to us Trekkies out there because it has Gary Graham and Eric Pierpoint, who you got to do scenes with in your episode 15 minutes uh, or 15 with Wanda. Uh, and those guys were both on Star Trek a bunch of times, a bunch of different versions of Star Trek. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear if you remember anything from that and in particular, particular, uh, anything about the prosthetics you had to wear. Cause that was,
0: Oh my gosh, you're taking me back. Well, I had forgotten about that.
1: Yeah. i gonna prosthetic- that, that one. Cause that's a weird one.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was right. I, I, uh, I remember the prosthetics that was, Oh, we were in the makeup chair early in the morning, three hours, you know, uh, Gosh, I yeah, that was really something. That that, um, I remember the prosthetics on that one, and also on Star Trek, playing um, Doctor.
1: What's her name? Uh, Doctor Cobb. Jay- we'll get to, we'll get to her in a Kama. bit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, very um, sort of claustrophobic, actually. You know, because you've got all this. Um. Yeah, I I loved getting out of it at the end of the day. <laughs> I remember there was this guy. I can't remember. I can't, I can't tell you the name. I, I had a huge crush on him during alien nation. And, uh, I, yeah, uh, one of the writers and, uh, my God, he only saw me with the prosthetic on and he didn't know what I really looked like. And I remember, being in the makeup chair after the shoot one day and he's standing right there just to see what I really, what Sachi Parker really looks like underneath all of that. And <clears throat> uh, I was beyond embarrassed. I, I, I thought he wouldn't like me or approve of what my real face looked like. And I was so, I wanted to keep the prosthetic on that day. I just, I wanted to go home with it and just, I was so insecure about my real looks underneath, you know, cause I didn't have any, it was just the real face, not any mascara or shadow or lipstick or anything to, you know, it was, um, I remember that anyway, that was something personal, but, uh, yeah, I did and it was okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I imagine that can't be too pleasant cause you got to probably stuff, I imagine all your hair under this bald cap and those bald caps are pretty huge
0: yeah they really are and you don't look great when you get all that stuff off because you know you're red you're you know you, you know and i have this white skin that I, it gets splotchy because you're taking it off <laughs> it's just like it wasn't good <laughs> and you didn't ask me out <laughs> <laughs> oh well
1: <laughs> thanks alien nation
0: yeah thanks a lot right right
2: Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek-inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the Movies. Ranging from prop replicas to use in a fan film or cosplay to accessories or playsets for figures in all different sizes, Triple Fiction Productions has got you covered. Past pieces for toys have included large centerpieces like Ten Forward from the Enterprise-D, shuttlecrafts complete with working lights, and the Voyager Bridge, with smaller pieces including Borg alcoves, the Genesis device, and the dreaded arch-enemy of Wharf, barrels. All highly detailed products are 3D printed and hand-painted in the USA, with new items added all the time, while simultaneously improving their printing quality based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit triple-fictionproductions.net or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Want to get 10% off your next purchase? Use code UNTOLD10 at checkout to receive this discount. Not applicable during sales or clearance events. That's code UNTOLD10 to get 10% off action figure dioramas, accessories, and prop replicas. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before.
3: Hey, I'm Licia Nav, a.k.a. Ensign Sonia Gomez from Star Trek TNG. And now, Captain Sonia Gomez on Lower Decks with her own ship, the Archimedes. Yay! I finally got a promotion after 25 years. So anyway, I'm here to talk about DriveByDougaders.org. It's a little charity I run where we go to the outskirts of Skid Row, and from our car windows, we hand out basic human essentials like water, wipes, cold stream cheese, socks tarps, masks, t-shirts, things to keep people warm. So we just think that everyone deserves clean water, some protein, and a way to clean themselves, especially during Corona. We also hand out masks to those who really, really need it, who live in tents on the street, mainly the disabled and elderly who have a really hard time getting to services. We do all of this with no agenda, just pure giving, no overhead. If you'd like to go to the website and donate, it's 100% 100% tax-deductible, and if you click on the Donate button, you can go right to the $35 option and pick a signed autograph picture of either the Star Trek The Next Generation or Lowered X or Total Recall, where I played the three-breasted mutant hooker on Mars, and uh, that's the X-ray version. Put in the comments section your address and anything you'd like me to write, and I'll personally inscribe it and mail it off to you immediately. And again, that's drivebydougaders.org. Ensign, I mean, Captain. Sonia Gomez, signing off.
2: We now return to Trek Untold. Now,
1: uh, there's one other thing too I want to talk about before we jump into Star Trek. One last thing here, uh, and that's uh, in 1986, I read that you did a commercial for Diet Pepsi with your mother. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah! I was curious, was that the first time you two had worked professionally together? Yes. Okay, so yes. how was it? How was how yes. it acting side right. by side with your mom, not just being in your home doing it, but now doing it in front of cameras and directors and producers and all these people?
0: Well, I tell you what, it was the one and only time and it was so much fun. Oh my gosh. But talk about another generous one, like, you know, Geraldine. I mean, she was really, you know, she's a, she's, she's a trooper. She's a real professional when it comes to, you know, she, she just, you know, gave me everything I needed. Mommy, you know, I don't know if everybody saw that, but it was a lovely commercial. It really was. There was a lot of warmth in it, you know, and. Um, I love that. I love working with her. Yeah.
1: I mean, throughout your career, did you keep your parentage a secret? Like, like, did people in Hollywood know that you were the daughter? I mean, I assume it's kind of hard to, like, not have people know about that. But, I mean, did you try to keep it a secret? And yeah, did I it did. kind of, you know, add any pressure to you as well? Like the fact that, you know, you did you feel you needed to live up to what your mom has done?
0: Um, I, I, I think maybe there's that. Um, I think, um, I did keep it a secret. I still do. Um, but not very well. I mean, everybody knows, you know, um, and it's fine. I mean, eventually, uh, what I was going to say was, I I think I wanted people to get to know me for me and not be impressed because she's my mother because she is such an icon you know um but just to see me for me but honestly i've grown out of that really once people get to know me for about 10 minutes half an hour or something like that the you know they they really do get off of it and they really either like you for you or not you know and um I think I would I put that upon myself more than what was actually real. Um, yeah, I think there's a there's a certain thing about wanting to be independent too. You know, you want to. Um, but she she. Uh, I think the acting thing complicated things. Once I started acting, that really complicated things a lot. Before I started to choose to act, it was a lot easier. I, I probably, on that note, I probably would have been wise to do something entirely different, um, like be the nurse that I wanted to be, or, you know... Uh but I do love acting. I really do. Um I am compared with her quite a bit. I look like her. My voice is like her. Um you know, it's it's um just what are you gonna do? You know, I I you know, um, or daughter. But I, I do um I, I I probably need to work on being more Myself. Um, I, I've actually had people. Pay me for jobs. Saying you know. We want. Uh, you know we want another Shirley MacLaine. So be her.
2: Oh,
0: and it's like okay well. Need the money. Um, I Okay. You know and that was hard. Um, but I know how to. You know, I'm a good imitator, so I you know and i'm I am her daughter, so it was fairly easy to act like her be like her um don't know that I enjoyed it it it, it took me away from me
1: I mean, basically, you kind of just wanted to stand in your own two feet and not have to be in someone else's shadow,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, on the other hand, you know, I mean she's she's an insanely talented genius actress, you know, I mean, it's, it's a compliment, you know, to be asked to be like her. Um, but, so there is that. And it's an honor. Yeah, that was, um, that was a tough one for me when I was actually asked and paid to, to, to like a younger version of Shirley Klein, you know, that was very hard. Um, I almost felt like I was insulting her too, you know, like trying to copy her. She's there is only one there is only one of her. Um so but what are you gonna do? Um but yeah, I I, I uh I'm good. You know, I do my own thing. Now I, I hope nobody else comes and asks me to be like her. Because <laughs> I mean, I'll do it, I think it's like get paid. You know?
1: I think, I think it's pretty safe to say you have done your own thing and you've made your own name for yourself. And, you know, I, I we were talking off camera before we started recording this. And yeah. I even told you, I, I didn't want to start beating a dead horse because you've talked about this stuff already, you know, so in depth in your book and other places. But uh, it's also yeah. been, you know, almost 10 years since your book came out. And I imagine things are different for you, too. And the way you look at things are probably different. So, uh, you know, at the very least, I don't want to keep bringing those comparisons back. But... Uh, you know, I, I am kind of curious to see how things are today here in 2022 as we record this. But we'll, we'll come back to all that. That's just kind of my, uh, my my warning again about that stuff, because <laughs> I don't want to keep, again, beating the dead horse.
0: It's fine, Matthew. Gosh, I you know, I. um First of all, you're so good. You're such a good interviewer. I want to thank t- you. Tell you that um, you really are. You're so warm and so respectful and all, you know, you're you're really good. Um, Thank you. Appreciate that. And I really have nothing to hide. Um, You know, I did write a very personal book. So I do have lots of regrets having written it. I shouldn't have. And I'm very, very regretful, actually. I think I, um, but what's done is done.
1: You know? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that was actually one of my questions was looking back on it now this many years later, uh, whether you regretted anything that you said or just even the fact that you you wrote the book in the first place. Because, you know, it is taking a lot of private feelings that you had and putting it out there to the world and essentially kind of using that as your therapy method. Um, so, you know, but but then on the other hand, too, you know, here you are, here's Saatchi Parker, and you're kind of already in the public eye because of who your parentage is, because of, you know, I mean, we haven't mentioned yet your, that Warren Beatty uh, is your uncle as well. So it's like you're, you're kind of publicly out there. And ultimately, how, you have very little choice in this matter. I mean, you're basically a little kid, and you're thrust into this world from the start. So uh, it's just got to be a difficult thing to deal with, just from day one, even.
0: Um, I, I I think... Honestly, Matthew, I think I really have to uh, be grateful that I was raised in Japan and not in Hollywood.
1: That's true, yeah. Uh, I
0: think it would have been a lot worse. If you can call it a bad thing, you know, I don't know Warren very well, but I I think that being raised in Japan uh, provided a safety from all of that, you know, the Hollywood thing and the um, you know, the traps that um, offspring can get into, you know, I, I, I I was spared all of that. I really was. And I'm very grateful for that, you know, regarding any, uh, certainly substance abuse or any, you know, I mean, my God, I mean, I'm just so lucky, uh, even that alone, but, and the Japanese were very much in love with my mother. Uh, I so I did get a healthy dose of that when I was growing up but in a very respectful kind of way not in a hollywoody kind of way and it was very it was just different I felt uh I felt special um, as a result of her being my mother and I think um that might be um you know as an adult you have to earn your specialness you know um so that was a little confusing as i became an adult you know earning my own way in life and you know you you i was given so much accolade as a child in japan for doing nothing you know just to be her daughter um Oh, Sat-chan! Oh, Sat-chan! You know, and you know, it it um it's not real, you know, and um. But again, you know, those are things that you learn as an adult, and um. It's all good. I I do, I do. Wish I I I could have more of a relationship with my mother. Now I miss her terribly, and I think writing the book was a a mistake I really made, a big one. I regret it terribly, but it's it's um, gosh, you know, when you think about, I, I have to forgive myself a little bit of going through a divorce, and you know, when you get. Oh, you you know, you're not in your right mind, really.
1: It sounds like you might have just been in a place that was very angry and kind of very dark and just didn't know what to do with those those feelings.
0: Very. Um, So, yeah. But I did abandon it, and I'm glad I did. I, uh, you know, chose not to go on any of the, you know, the talk shows and the, you know, no publicity. You know, I, I really... Uh, I did a couple and that was it. I just, that was it. I realized how much I hurt my mother and I didn't want to proceed with anything anymore. So that was, at least I did that. I can, but still shouldn't have done it.
1: I mean, I was watching, you know, in my prep work for this, I saw an interview that you did with Barbara Walters even. And, uh, you know, I feel like the person I'm talking to today is very different from the person who was doing that interview with Barbara Walters, you know, almost 10 years ago. So I feel like you've definitely, whatever you're doing has, you've definitely come a long way. And, you know, it is wow. interesting too, because I imagine that, you know, most people uh, who are listening to the show, you know, they, they have to deal with whatever baggage that their parents have put on us. And oftentimes that is a generational trauma that their parents put on them and that they still carry and hold with them. Uh, and I think the difference too, is that just again, like we said, you're more under the microscope because of who your parents were uh, and because of who your parents are. And, you know, it's different for everybody, but as someone who is, has clearly been working through all of this stuff and you've come very far, I mean, I've, Obviously, I've only known you for an hour, but I can tell you're a completely different person than what I saw from those, you know, those interviews. Um, how does someone take this journey and transform themselves and, and kind of get to that light at the end of the tunnel to be in a place where they're okay with themselves, with who they are, and with who they were?
3: Wow. Wow.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate the
0: opportunity to even answer that question because that's really that's cool. Um, yeah. I think when you start to get older, too, and I'm 65, you know, it you start to realize that, you know, you've got mm, kind of one chapter left and um, one big chapter anyway. And you, I certainly wanted to look at, um, you know, any hurts I caused in my life to people that i love and to try to make it right and um you know for closure for them for me for just in the name of love really and and doing the right thing and and being able to get be on my deathbed and say okay well I screwed up here, 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 and here, and I really tried my best to then make it right here, 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 and that's really all we can do as human beings, you know we 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 all screw up, and we all oh, yeah, we do, and you know it's 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 what you do after in a way that really counts. In my view, um, yeah, otherwise, you know, y- y- you don't forgive yourself either. And, you know, you-, you can't keep pounding yourself with guilt either. I think that that's, you know, and, 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 if the person, you know, that you're trying to make right with doesn't forgive you, keep trying. Just never stop. Just never stop. At least you're doing everything you can. And that's kind of where, that, that that's what I'm learning right now in my life. And, um, and you know, I keep making mistakes every day, right? I mean, you know, we might say something to hurt somebody, you know, just then might be in a bad mood or you might be preoccupied at a time with something else and you might say something insensitive. Whatever the case is, just apologize and do something to make them give them a hug and chocolate chip cookie and I don't know, but you know what I mean? I mean, just, I, that was a joke, but you know, to really, um, make amends however you can, uh, that's what I'm doing. And Cause I don't want to be on my
1: deathbed and, and not have done that. All right, well, that's going to be enough of the heavy stuff for now, Sachi, because I think I've kind of drilled you quite hard for the last half hour on this stuff here. So let's move on to what we're here for, uh, and that is some Star Trek talk, because you were in Star Trek The Next Generation, season four. Uh, The episode we're talking about today is First Contact. Uh, This is a fun one. I hadn't actually watched this one in a while. So yeah, it was really cool to see this again. Uh, So let's just take this one from the top here. Uh, So had you auditioned ever for Star Trek before this?
0: No, I had not. First time? It was my first time.
1: Do you remember what the audition process was like at all?
0: Gosh, I don't. I'm trying to remember, but I don't. No, I'm sorry. I don't.
1: It's all Usually people don't anyway, so it's all right. It's uh, so it's, it's, it's long ago. But yeah, it is kind of fun to hear that this was your first audition and you nailed it. Because I've talked to a lot of guests and oftentimes they've auditioned again and again and again, and then it took them years to get a part. So you got a first try. That's, that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I I, I must have a, done a really great reading for <laughs> outer space. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Now, know. did you know, like, know. at
1: the start that you were going to be auditioning for the part of someone that's going to be an alien?
0: Yes, I did. I did know that. I did and were
1: know you that. aware they were then going to have all sorts of prosthetics for you?
0: I wasn't sure, to, you know, what extent, uh, <laughs> you know, because I, I remember uh, seeing Star Trek as everybody, you know, everybody watched Star Trek, you know, the next generation. The, make, the prosthetics were different for a lot of the aliens. You know, they weren't, they didn't all look alike. And I wasn't sure what i was going to be looking like i didn't know you know <laughs> i thought they did a great job i really do
1: <laughs> i mean to be fair i've heard from other folks that haven't done this show especially uh women who are portraying aliens a lot of times and we had uh patricia tallman and she did an alien once and she basically said she looked, she looked like a walking vagina that's how she felt uh i, I don't think <laughs> yours is quite that bad though
0: A walking vagina. Wow. You got to see it.
1: Yeah. If you don't know it, you got to see it. But
0: oh, um, yeah, I mean, you had some
1: pretty heavy makeup here. Though. You had makeup, you had a hairpiece, right? Like, like what do you remember about getting through that whole process? This is a lot different You're from Alienation. Cool.
0: I think I remember a widow's peak they gave. I mean, it was just in the, the here, lots of folds. And I mean, it was something else. I mean, it was really, it was cool. I I mean, I completely different. Oh, the cheekbones. I love the cheekbones they gave me. They made this high cheekbone. I don't know. I I thought I looked in a way prettier than I do in life. (laughs) I I thought so. And that was Rob. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. You had some fun
1: gloves on too, right? Like those must have been horrible to work with, I'd imagine. So which ones? You had gloves on too.
0: Oh, yeah. You're bringing me back. I forgot about the gloves. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. It really helped me get in character. I will. I mean, honestly, it was great. I loved it. But the, you know, we and the, I remember the makeup artist was serious business. She there were there were there were two ladies and a guy all on me. I mean, like, and three hours. In the wow!
1: Charge. Yeah, that is pretty intense. That's that's definitely much more intensive than Alienation, wasn't it?
0: It was far more. Yeah. I tell you what, though. You know what was really cool? Because they were all so sweet. This one was particularly a family-y kind of feeling when you got into the makeup chair. And there's something about being in the makeup chair for three hours and having three people work on only you. There's something about feeling so loved and kind of special. And it's all about you. And it's just... It's nice. It's a nice, I remember that feeling very well. I love that. And they were just, they were cracking jokes and, you know, we were having coffee and, you know, making, you know, weird jokes. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what kind, I remember some of the jokes, but anyway, you know, just, just family. And we got to know each other well, you know, you're you, you, you talking about six days of, three hours in a chair you know you you're, you get to know these people really well and they get to know you and it's just it becomes a family that was a particularly wonderful family e
1: feeling shoot yeah and yeah, just just kind of remind everybody about the premise too i mean this episode it is uh it's a first contact premise so basically you know this is a, a planet of aliens who have just achieved warp capabilities and that's why the Federation's going to check them out and see if they're ready to, you know, talk and basically maybe join the Federation. So um, but the kind of the fun thing about it is that even though it is outer space and it's meant to be the future, this alien race that you're playing in particular, it's kind of like they're almost in the 1990s because it's basically like that kind of world. It's just colored differently and they got gloves on for their their weird fingers. Um, exactly. So, you know, and again, we're talking about some some really cool uh, guest actors as well besides yourself. And this also has George Coe, Michael Ensign, uh, Carolyn Seymour, George Hearn. So yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces in this episode, a lot of moving parts uh, that I feel like not necessarily every single Trek episode has, you know, usually they'll have a guest star, but there's a lot of folks doing a lot of things at once. So uh, I'm kind of curious you know how everybody got along and did it just really feel like chaotic or was it, uh, was it pretty focused?
0: Very focused, but we all, you know, we all were in the makeup chair together, you know, kind of in a row in this huge trailer, you know, and it was just... Again, we got to know each other really well, and it's a funny thing you know that happens on a set anyway, usually in the makeup chairs where it starts uh where you get to know someone and their families and their children and their brothers and their sisters and their husbands and wives and you know you we we you you get very close very quickly and then and then you really don't see them again, you know. I remember seeing Patrick Stewart in Brooklyn recently in Park Slope. I thought, oh, and I felt like because we got close and I, 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 I wanted to go up and hug him because, you know, from way back when. And, of course, I didn't. I got shy. But, <laughs> you know, that feeling of, of getting so close to someone where you feel like you're, you're part of their family. When you're on a shoot. Um, that that was a. Particularly close. Family feeling. On that shoot.
1: Yeah, And you also got to spend some time with. Uh, Jonathan Frakes on that episode too. Uh, oh so, he
0: was great. Fabulous.
1: Funny. Yeah I'm sure. I mean that must have been fun to get a chance to work with him. And uh,
0: you know, the fact that he worked work that close to him too. Yeah, Yeah. He's great. <laughs> yeah. I miss these people, you know, I miss them. It's It's been years, but, you know, you remember, you remember things. I can't, I can't say, but, you know, you remember things about them, you know, in, in, in the makeup chair, for goodness sakes, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> now, this episode's also known for the appearance of another guest star. Which was B.B. Newirth, and she played like the thirstiest alien ever. Uh, she, she's Linnell, and she basically demands that Riker make love to her before she helps him escape. Uh, and she convinces him to do that pretty, pretty easily. It doesn't take much convincing to get Riker to do something like that. But uh, you know, it's it's a really funny scene. I, I was wondering if you were actually there that day when they filmed it.
0: I don't remember that. No, I don't okay. remember
1: that. Actually. No. Uh-uh. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> curious. One day, I got to try to find a way to get her on the show because that that's a scene. <laughs>
0: B.B. Newirth, what a great personality! Wow, she's a big, big personality lady, and yeah. she—well, she's done so well for herself too. Um, I liked her a lot. A lot, funny, a lot of sarcasm, very funny. Oh my gosh! I was still struggling at the time with um, getting to know American humor hmm. from my Japanese cultural background which is pretty much i was gonna say no humor but they they're the japanese humor humor. it's pardon me
1: it's just a different kind of humor yeah it's like kind of like the same difference of british humor too it's like sometimes it's more dry or other times it's more wacky than you get in america so yeah it's like different kind of language
0: it is and i remember exactly I, i remember um she was a classic example of the American humor, the, the sarcastic, um, hilarious. And I was still getting used to it at the time. <laughs> I was still confused. What? I, but then it would take me about an hour and then I'd get it. And I would start laughing, you know. So it was it was um, a time in my life where I was still getting used to the American, you know, humor, which is very much... Sarcastic, you know what I mean, right? I don't think the British or the Japanese have the sarcastic thing going on much. So it was, it was, and I had only known Japan and England, you know, and Australia, of course. But
1: now we talked earlier about how you had some interest in things that are like were behind the scenes, and especially things like directing. Uh, But again, you're also here with this big cast of characters—not just the main cast of like Patrick Stewart, Marina Sirtis, Jonathan Frakes, but these other really great guest stars too. So, you know, did you get a chance to kind of, like, watch them work and, and pick up any things as well for yourself?
0: Um, I'm trying to understand. Uh, Gosh, you know, I love the fact that they were so, so full of personality and humor and craziness in the makeup chair. And then on and then w- w- would just become in the in character on the set. A complete flipperoo, and that was the beginning, really, of my acting. And 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 I learned a lot about
1: that. I mean, yeah. Do you feel like that was like uh, a turning point for your career doing that episode of Star Trek?
0: Maybe it was. I think it was. Um, you know, first of all, you don't see the actual person, their faces, right, as much. You know, because of all the. Makeup and stuff, but I think it was the beginning of um, me understanding, oh, okay, even without makeup, to become a character, you, you you can still look like you, but really not seem like you at all if you could just go into another person completely and that was that was fascinating to me.
1: So being in the makeup kind of helped you, I guess, almost like step out of your own body to find this character. Is that kind of like, what, is, that, is that an interpretation of what you're saying?
0: I think so. I think that was very much easier because you can hide behind the prosthetic, the makeup. So what do you do when you don't have that? And you, you're you not hiding physically. You You have to go into character maybe even more, you know, even more of a a commitment to getting into someone else's shoes yeah on a completely serious note but in a way yeah that that was an eye-opener for me I remember putting two and two together that way I thought oh, okay well, okay well the makeup's all fine and dandy but let's how do you get in character without it and that was the true test of an, being an actor you know yeah
1: now do you recall if you watched the episode on TV when it first aired I didn't want to. Are you one of those persons who doesn't like to really watch uh, their own work?
0: I like I, I I do now. I at the time I didn't. I was still new and I didn't I didn't
1: <laughs> I didn't want to. You know. Have you seen it since then, I guess is the question. Have you have I you ever haven't. watched it?
0: I haven't.
1: Oh my god. But oh I wow. Okay.
0: To, but I want to. <laughs> I don't know where I can.
1: Oh, it's <laughs> on the uh... I got it. yeah, it's on Paramount Plus. It's it's in a few places. I'll hook you up after the show, we'll figure something out. Yeah, well, I'll make you sure you
0: see me. it. I would love to. Gosh, yeah, yeah. That would be fun. No, I love to watch myself now. Now I'm I've I've grown up <laughs> and it's different, you know. And I'm not a I'm not a um a beauty lady. So I don't care about how I look. I just care about how I'm acting, you know, and am I in character or not or I'm I'm hard on myself that way, rather than looking at, I mean, a lot of actress friends of mine are, you know, they're just, oh, that wrinkle. Oh, no, I have to go get Botox, you know, <laughs> and I'm just not,
1: I don't care. <laughs> so let's kind of fast forward to today now here at 2022. So what has Sachi Parker been up to since her Star Trek days and everything else? So, you know, there's so many other things we didn't talk about, but, you know, what are you, what are you doing these days? Are you still performing? Are you doing other things now? Besides going to I- college, we should preface.
0: Yay! Um, yes, I am still performing. I do uh, a lot of theater, mainly. Uh, I've done a lot of Zoom acting and in um, point. right. I know. Interestingly enough, I got used to Zoom. Uh, in the beginning, it was very, very, very difficult. Uh, but it's kind of like film acting with you know the close up, just the face. The body is, you're like a talking head, really. I'm done with it, though, now. I'm, I'm really eager. I'm doing a play, coming up, starting rehearsals uh, in uh, 10 days. And I'm looking forward to that in person again. And, um, I, yeah, I'm always going to be acting. I just love it too much. I'm real lucky. I keep getting people who call and say, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Um, I I don't quite understand why people, I don't have to do much. I'm, you know, I get calls. Um, so yes, my wheels are well-oiled, very, and it feels almost as if, you know, now that I've raised my children and they came out of the oven Really well baked. They're good to go. They're doing their lives. And I'm so proud of them. And, you know, there's a time in probably every mother's life where your children are done. And now you've got to get back to you. And that's where I'm at. And it's a lovely place. There's a lovely. Uh, freedom, I don't have a responsibility on a daily basis anyway to make sure they're all right and fed and, you know, the daily stuff of raising children. Mine are now the dogs. Okay, well, that's easy. You know? right. um, and it's just uh, doing what I need to do for the rest of my what am, what does sachi want for the rest of her life and this one precious life and uh because as a mother you do give up what you want and need for your children right i mean that's just how it is and so uh, it, it's in it, in a way it's new because I'm an older mom. I didn't have my children until 42. And uh, so it's only recent. And uh, so I say even though I'm 65, I started having children so late that being single without a husband and without children, I'm really in a wonderful place in a way to... live out my dreams and my passion and what are those? And, and then going forth, gotta go for it, you know? And um, it's, it's better than when I was in life before children, before a husband, because I'm older and wiser and, um, I I I understand so much more now. So um I feel very grateful that I have this one, this one last chapter opportunity to do that, you know? And it's um Yeah, I feel extremely grateful and blessed. And I have my children behind me supporting me emotionally. And that's another wonderful thing that I never had when I was young, young, you know? And, uh, so it it gives you even more of a boost. And it's also a way to, um, I have a daughter, I have a son and a daughter to show my daughter that, you know, as a woman, Because I'll be dead and gone by the time she's 65, you know, and it's never too late, you know, you just keep at it, man, you know, you gotta, and um, keep your identity, you know, to show her as a woman that that's important, even when you're married and even when you're a mother. And I think I made, I think I made a mistake in a way not what am I trying to say I mean listen you know we we can all go back and um, doubt ourselves and question second guess whatever but you know I'm glad i I, I gave myself 100 percent to my children but I think there's also a balance um I kept acting throughout it but not as much as I should have um but whatever um i i'm glad i did it that way now i'm now i'm uh, need to do my life and that's that's really cool you know i feel like in a way um yeah i want to give that to her that i don't want to retire and be put out to pasture or put myself out to pasture. That's just BS. I mean, there is no such thing, you know? Yeah. It seems like you've kind
1: of like really found who you are right now at this point in your life more than you have previously. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you're saying. I feel like it's like, this is, you now know who Sachi Parker is and you're still learning more about her, but you're kind of comfortable right now with who you are. And that's, that's kind of a big thing too, though.
0: So cool. It's so cool because of, the years that I have under my belt, right? And experience and all that, um, put that to use with what I, I don't know what I'm going to be really doing. Who knows? I mean, I always act. I love acting. I just love it. I love moving people. I love making them think, um, you know, and I love getting into character. I love it. I love not being me, (laughs) I mean, I don't even know who I am half the time, you know, but I mean, I I think that acting will always be a part of my life and, uh, yeah, I still need to get out of the shadow of my mother, that whole thing, you know, um, and I think I will, as I get older and older, it would, it, it, I'll grow that way too. continue, but yeah, I, I want to learn about other things too, like college. Yeah. And I want to be a grandma and I want to be all
1: those things. <laughs> so anyway. Well, you know, not, not to completely bring this back to uh, focusing on your mom again, but this is actually, um, I mentioned earlier this interview I watched of you with Barbara Walters. And, uh, in it, there's something that you said and I wanted to kind of talk to you about that now and see what your thoughts are about it today. Uh, and, and the quote that I have here is that, uh, you said, I saw my mother suppress her own creativity. I wasn't going to let that happen to me. So I'd like to know what that mean. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to know what that means. And I said that? I believe so. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. That was my mother saying that about her mother.
1: Okay. Okay. So then uh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to twist no, that back around, mother, that, I guess.
0: No. Yeah. No, my mother um, has never suppressed her creativity. I mean, okay. That, yeah. So I'm
1: wondering then, you know, in this case, we talked about generational trauma, you know, a little bit while ago yeah. too. I'm wondering, uh, is this something that you felt as well with your life?
0: Yes, I think so. What an amazing question. Gosh. Um, So thank you. I I have felt that I suppressed my own creativity to allow my mother to stay on the pedestal
1: Mm.
0: and not jiggle her by being on a another pedestal or so I, I think I wanted to keep quiet for a long time in order to give her that. Um, and I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You're what are you a psych, you're like a s- very, I I need to pay you like thousands of dollars.
1: Of <laughs> I'm just a Trekkie. I'm just doing my thing.
0: <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> okay. Hmm.
1: Well, let me, let me throw you one last heavy one here. Uh, this will be basically, you know, okay. so we're coming towards the, at the end of this interview here. Uh, this will be the last real heavy one. So what would you say would be the most valuable piece of advice that you ever got from someone uh, either about acting or about life or maybe even both those things together?
0: When I was 12 years old, um, there was a lady by the name of Rita Hall uh, who was a very... It was like an auntie, an older auntie that I got to know when she lived in Hong Kong. Anyway, I was off to boarding school at Victoria Station in London. She was seeing me off. She was the one who saw me off. And um, she said to me, Don't ever gossip. I was going to an all-girls boarding school in England, and she said, don't ever gossip. And I haven't. And I think that was a real piece of valuable advice that I got from her, and I've never forgotten it. And another one was um, from the headmaster of my boarding school in England, that I happened to graduate from, uh, Anthony Green, and uh, I remember he he told all of us, it was a very small school, kind of, I don't know if you've ever heard of Summerhill in England. I think I have. You have?
1: have? I think I have for some reason. I don't know why. Don't ask me why, but I think I have.
0: (laughs) Insane. I mean, not very many people have. Wow. He, um, he started the school very much after the Summerhill kind of style. Anyway, a very small, kid-directed um, school. But anyway, he advised all of us. He would talk to us about how we needed to organize our home life, our personal lives at home. Make your bed every morning. Uh, you know, keep yourself and your your home clean and organized, and you will have a happy life. And I thought to myself at the time, I didn't really understand. I didn't make my bed? Who cares? You know, I mean, I just okay. But now. The organ, you know, of keeping things straight, keeping the calendar straight, keeping, um, calling back, uh, communication, you know, keeping all of those things tidy in your life. Not to the point of obsession or anything, but just it—it makes your life. It opens doors and windows and um opportunities. You know, it it's so to keep your home life, you know, eat well, exercise, keep yourself healthy. Um that it, first and then from there. You know, you'll you'll it it life just sort of falls into a place and it works. He was so right. Um. I. I, And I guess I. I'm trying to think of. Um. I haven't thought about any of this. My goodness. Um. Yeah. I. I. I think. Um. Lots of people. But. Yeah. I. I think my mother. In. Um. She's very disciplined. You know. And to stay disciplined in your professional life.
1: Good advice. Discipline. I've heard that from a lot of people, too. It's similar things, basically, just being being regimented, getting on to your... Basically, you take care of yourself, taking care of within before you take care of without.
0: Thank you for making it so easy to say. <laughs> I, I took forever. You said it. There you go. <laughs> That's it. In a nutshell. Done. <laughs> That's exactly right.
1: Your way sounded much nicer, though.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> might be a ver- feminine versus a masculine kind of thing you know we, i don't know we i'm just like this is, is it yeah <laughs> 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 that's
1: funny All right. So, Sachi, thank you so much for this really, you know, interesting conversation we've had today. It's a very unique conversation for sure. But as we wrap things up here, I got to ask you, you know, like I started this interview with a question I always ask my guests first. This is what I always like to ask my guests. Lastly, Uh, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe?
0: Oh, wow. The best thing is an escape from our planet. (laughs) I would have to say. Yeah, let's make it all happen and make it real.
1: I think we all want that for sure. Uh have you have you ever yeah. done any Star Trek conventions by the way?
0: No, I haven't. I'd love to.
1: Yeah, we got to get that to happen. Do you, have you ever done any of the conventions at all or have you kind of just stayed away from that scene?
0: No, I don't stay away from it actively. I just haven't been asked. I I I'd love it.
1: Okay, we got to make love- that happen. Yeah, I don't too many guests in the show who, like, you know, they've done some amazing stuff and they've never gone to a Trek convention. And I know folks would love to meet you, and, uh, you know, e- even the smallest roles out there, people, you know, Trekkies especially, we love to meet all these folks who are such a big part of the universe, so we got to find a way to oh. get you to a Star Trek mission out in Vegas or something like that. we got to find a way, folks.
0: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> love right,
1: it. Well, yeah. Well, Sachi, again, thank you so much. Uh, you know, again, I really want to just really make sure I get this clear here, is that, you know, you have been so open, so honest, talk about a lot of very very tough subjects i don't think this is what you expected when you came on to do a star trek podcast and uh most people don't expect that kind of questions from a star trek podcast so uh thank you for being really generous and just so open about all this and uh, you know like i said earlier I, I mean what i said uh you know i feel like i'm talking to such a different person from what i saw years ago and it sounds like you've done a lot to you know re- get yourself to this point and uh you know you've done an awesome job of doing it and i look forward to uh, hearing about your graduation from uh, college soon with your psychology degree <laughs>
0: R2, sweetie. Thank you so much, Matthew. You're wonderful. I really loved talking with you and you're, you're just wonderful at what you do. Just brilliant, actually. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And we got to get you to Star Trek convention again. I'm going to really stress that point. So everybody out there, let's make it happen. Start petitioning.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I love it. Take care, everybody.
1: That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. And thank you for checking it out. One more time, if you're not following us on social media, please do so by checking us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold. And That's all one word, no spaces on any of those platforms. If you want to check out the video version of this podcast to see our guests, head over to youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday where I post the video version of this show every Sunday after the initial episode airs on Thursdays. Shout out to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, who create 3D printed toys and prop replicas inspired by Star Trek. Their items come in all shapes and all sizes and are always amazing. If you're in a position to financially support Trek Untold, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash to become one of our Patreon supporters. There's a lot of cool perks that you can get by becoming a Patreon supporter, including early access to the episodes, the ability to ask our guests questions, and a lot more cool stuff coming very soon. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or any other audio platforms that you listen to the show on that allow you to do so. Or if you're one of our YouTube audience members, please make sure you comment on this video and give it a thumbs up. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Special thanks to Scott Ray for providing us with this week's guest. If you'd like to book them for an autograph signing or convention appearance, email scott at scottray67 at aol.com. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz. This has been Trek Untold. And remember, fortune favors the bold
2: trek untold is sponsored by treksphere.com promoting fan produced star trek content in all forms is powered by the rageworks podcasting network and is affiliated with nerd news today